Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. Banzai Bermudez is co-founder and executive artistic director of Chicago's Youth Empowerment Performance Project. The project is a program for LGBTQ youth experiencing homelessness to explore their history, investigate new ways to address their struggles, and celebrate their strengths throughout the process of developing a theatrical performance piece. Originally from Puerto Rico, Bonsai has a bachelor's degree in theater and dance and has worked professionally as a ballet, modern dancer, and actor. Banzai completed a master's degree in guidance and counseling from the University of Puerto Rico with a concentration on LGBTQ issues. He's been working in the social justice service field for over 20 years, focusing on trauma, transformative justice, and harm reduction practices. In 2010, he began to politically advocate for the Latino-Latina LGBTQ community in Chicago. He spent five years at the Broadway Youth Center, a Chicago program that serves LGBTQ youth. While counseling and supporting young people at the Broadway Youth Center in Chicago, Bermudez facilitated a healing initiative in 2010 which drew upon the experiences and stories of street-based youth using various creative disciplines. Later that year, after revising the mission, a new team met to develop a plan of rebuilding and reopening the project. With this new charter in place, the Youth Empowerment Performance Project secured a rehearsal space and began operating on March 1, 2011. Banzai, welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. How are you today? How is life in Chicago during these crazy times? Um, well, first I would like to say, um, Michelle, thank you so much for opening this opportunity for me um, and to highlight the, the work that I do at the Youth Empowerment Performance Project. Um, and yeah, feeling very honored, um, even though we have not shared um, space um, and community together, but knowing the kind of work that you do and the kind of presence you have in, in the world, um, I feel very honored for you to open this opportunity for me. Um, so yeah, I, as you mentioned, I live in Chicago um, and I have been living in this city for the past 11 years. Um, I moved to Chicago 
um, back in 2009, 2009 um, actually pursuing uh, an internship to complete my master's degree um, in clinical counseling. Um, at that moment, I was doing a master in Puerto Rico, uh, that master's degree in Puerto Rico. And as soon as I finished my coursework, I really wanted to find a space that could challenge me um, to learn what I was um, looking for, what I wanted to, to learn and absorb. And Chicago felt um, that it was the city that could um, challenge me in those kind of ways. And I packed my stuff in the middle of a brutal winter. <laughs> I was here in February 5th of 2009. Uh -huh. And if you go back to the records, um, it was a pretty brutal uh, winter. And, um, but, you know, I think the excitement never, never got frozen. You know, the excitement and the fire was always in my body. And that kept me, you know, together throughout uh -huh. that winter. And, um, yeah. Um, so Chicago at this very moment, um, I think Chicago, um, it's a very powerful city and very, um, very unique, powerful city. And even though um, I think it's still a lot of room for growth and transformation, I think Chicago brings a very powerful um, activism work um, community uh -huh. work, especially young people in Chicago. I think black and brown young people in Chicago are um, badass and very powerful. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh -huh. They have, you know, brought a lot of transformation to the city with their voice and their action. And I feel, like, deeply inspired by the work that young people do in this city. Um, and not just young people, right? I think many people are very committed for the city to evolve and grow um, despite the many things that happen um, socially and the injustices that happen, you know, across the board. And uh -huh. um, during these times, Chicago, um, you know, um, is part of the United States and Chicago is going through a lot. And um, this pandemic that is hitting um, the, the United States and the world pretty badly, um, um, especially this country. Um, I think, unfortunately, I don't feel this country have done well around, um, you know, its leadership. It's really not mm -hmm. responding to the, to, to the humans that they have mm -hmm. piece of land. And um, it's pretty unfortunate, many things, many of the things that are happening. Um, so Chicago is not an exception. You know, Chicago is a part of this country. So we are absolutely mm -hmm. like feeling impacted and, and feeling, um, yeah, feeling impacted by these many things. So um, on the other side, um, as I was mentioning, um, Chicago is also a city with um, a lot, you know, a lot of work is happening here. So mm -hmm. you know, it's this moment of like, uh, bittersweet, bittersweet, you know, it's many things that are not going well, but then many other things are going very powerful. So, you know, being here present with myself, with the communities I, I am a part of, with the work that I do, just to do the best that we can during these times. Well, you know, that's one of the things that I love about Chicago. I mean, I have always had a, a thing about Chicago and gone back in first, and I've been fortunate to work with um, we've talked about uh, Phyllis Steen, who does this team of work. I also work with Mark Loveless, 
and he did a, a annual conference. And there are things that when you come there that the people who are so passionate not only about what they do but also have a perspective mm-hmm. on, on bigger things. And I know that often some of the people that so many of the people that I talk to have passed through Chicago mm-hmm. or been born and bred in Chicago and then went on and done everything from Andrea Jenkins, who's in uh, Minnesota, who is, you know, who started on the south side of Chicago, and, and, you know, all the different people who have won the STEAM Awards locally, nationally. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like when I got that, that call, when I got of, uh, a STEAM Award, it was like feeling that your community recognized you mm-hmm. and saw the work you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Is that part of what drew you to Chicago, you know, to continue your trajectory in the work you wanted to do? Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't mention this earlier. Um, I was born and raised in Puerto Rico, and um, mm-hmm. um, I had the privilege to go to a boarding school that was focused um, on math and science. So when I left boarding school at 16 years old, um, my vision was to become a veterinarian um, and dedicate mm. my life into the science. Um, and, you know, at some point I sort of realized that something else was out there for me and something that I dedicated many years of my life was the, the, the arts and um, the performing, mm-hmm. the performance arts. And, um, Build a career as a as a dancer, as an actor in show business. Um, I went to school to study um, theater and dance. So I had the opportunity to travel the world and to um, experience many cities and many countries. And um, you know, when I moved to Chicago um, in two thousand and nine, I you know. Sometimes I take risks without being so measured, and I uh-huh. think was a part of that, um, just taking a big risk uh, to go to a city that I have never been in, um, and I just wanted, yeah, to take risks. So, uh-huh. however, you know, the, the, the things that I heard about Chicago, besides, you know, the lake, and it was very cold during winter, I just <laughs> Yeah, those are like the two main ones that I heard a lot um, when I was asking people about Chicago. But I also heard um, that the art in Chicago was pretty powerful. Um, and, you know, the, the queer, the LGBTQ queer community um, in Chicago was also very powerful and very meaningful. Mm-hmm. And, mm. and that's kind of like what, what I wanted. You know, I had the opportunity to live in New York um, for a year um, back in the days, um, 2002, I think, if I don't mistake. Um, so I just wanted to experience a different city. And um, Chicago felt right. Um, mm-hmm. And I wanted to further my understanding, career, knowledge, how to best support the, the LGBTQI plus community. And um, Chicago felt right. Um, and you know, I did it and I actually, I was going to stay here for a year 
internship and then <laughs> I was planning to go to New York to pursue a doctor degree um, but I fell in love with the city and I just mm. decided to stay longer and um, four or five years after I was offered some opportunities in New York um, and in San Francisco and going back to, to Puerto Rico um, but I was like, no, I'm going to stay a little longer in Chicago. I think my journey in Chicago is still not done. And, um, you know, I will stay here a little longer. So uh-huh. 11 years after, I'm, he- I'm still here. <laughs> now, you've got your bachelor's degree in theater and dance. Yeah. And like you were in traditional dance. And I've talked to some other people. There's a friend of mine who is now in Seattle. And his background was, you know, he had a, a similar background. But he was saying that although in those, those spaces, the part as being a queer man, there wasn't ways to, that he felt in movement in his body that what he was allowed to express. Did yeah. you find that same situation? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that situation among many other situations, right? I think um, Mm -hmm. it it has been a journey, uh, uh, not just around the arts, but just in life in general. Um, um, Actually, two weeks ago, August 27th, I turned 39 years old um, Mm -hmm. and has been 39 years, you know. That's without counting the historical um, 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 life of my from where I'm coming from, right? That it's like hundreds Uh of years of history, Um, but just counting mine in this physical world um, have been 39 years of of a beautiful life journey. But going back to the artistic um, dance sort of career I had the opportunity opportunity to build, um, yeah, I think I started dancing when I was in, in, semi-professionally, right, because I went to a school that was, um, um, had a, a professional company, um, and I was a part of the school, so since I was in eighth, ninth grade, I was training, you know, in the, in the dance world, taking modern dance classes, and classical ballet, and jazz, um, and I think as a, as a young, young person, as a, as a young queer femme person, um, being able to connect with my body in the way that I was doing through the classes I was taking back, back then was beyond, I mean, it's just no words to explain that and express mm-hmm. um, as a queer femme, um, born and raised in a household that was pretty dysfunctional. Um, um, I experienced many traumas that when I was in that classroom taking my dance class, um, ballet class, jazz class, what have you, I was able to to be in a zone, in a zone with my body, with my spirit, with my with my mind, and I was able to connect in ways that I wasn't able to connect anywhere else. So mm. it was like almost, you know, life, it was a life savior. You know, I don't know where I could be without it. Um, And I developed plus the, 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 you know, the other dancers, the other students, you know, the, the members of the company were also 
like magical to me. You know, we were, um, you know, very, we were, um, you know, we were a family, you know, we were mm-hmm. um, a group of people sharing stories, sharing experiences, sharing art together. So we developed a very powerful bond. So for me, that upbringing was very um, instrumental to my mental health and my physical, spiritual health. Um, And I fell in love. So when I went to school, I, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I started um, in in the science field. I wanted to become a veterinarian. Um, and when I realized that that wasn't the career I wanted for myself, um, the closest career that I felt very connected was the arts, um, the performing mm-hmm. arts. So, and it was because this upbringing, being a younger dancer. Um, but then when I went to school and I started to face, you know, the show business professional field in Puerto Rico, I found I just faced something different, you know, faced a, a, a field that was um, not what I was expecting, you know, um, and it was hard for me to visualize myself in that career long term. So I decided to leave the island just to pursue other opportunities, and I realized that even though the show business career was still very beautiful and very powerful. It was also very, very emotionally draining and spiritually draining. And I, it was, you know, that moment that, um, um, you know, I feel my heart broken, you know, um, when you are in mm-hmm. love with someone and for whatever reason that relationship needs to end, I felt like that, I feel like heartbroken. Um, And, you know, it was hard for me to think that, yeah, to think I wasn't able to do that to my body for the rest of my life, you know, it was almost like very violent to my body. And I was like, you know, what what else? I don't, I, 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 projecting myself as an artist forever. So I got lost spiritually, mentally. Um, and at that moment, I was living in Dallas, in Dallas Texas, um, dancing for the Black Dance Theater and Company. And um, it's a modern dance contemporary um, company in Dallas, Texas. And I got lost. And and then it was a new chapter, you know, to 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 learn a lot more who I was and what I really wanted for my long-term life. And, you know, I always felt very connected with healing, very connected with creating spaces, um, creating spaces to educate each other, um, to create spaces for community building and looking at my, um, how can I say that, looking at what I feel connected with um, helped me to um, explore other possibilities and other sort of careers and becoming, embracing the, the healer sort of identity of mine or part of me um, helped me to 
um, not completely abandoned or remove the show business artistic work rather than like com uh, uh, implementing it or intertwine it with the healing work. So if you look at the youth empowerment performance project work, um, we combine um, very deeply um, healing work through the arts, through the expression mm -hmm. arts. Um, and I think this is pretty, this is almost like a manifestation um, of like what, like what, what I felt I could bring the most deepest impact in the world for myself and for the people that I love. Um, and here we were, here I am. <laughs> Well, you know, you went and, and you were pursuing a master's degree in guidance and counseling. Mm -hmm. What, you know, I think that one of the things that's beautiful, you had that master's degree in guidance and counseling, mm -hmm. and hit, but this background in, in the dance, yep. and you can see where you were able to, with, with the Youth Empowerment Performance Project, they all sort of came together. What made you say, okay, I'm going to try this guidance and counseling, and how did that lead you to mm -hmm. youth empowerment? Yeah. So what happened here is that when I moved to Chicago, as I mentioned earlier, it was to pursue an um, internship. Um, but before I got the internship, I got a full-time job at the Broadway Youth Center. It's a, it's a center located in Chicago um, to provide services mainly for the LGBTQI plus young people experiencing homelessness. So um, in that um, organization program, I, was, um, I became a resource advocate um, a case manager, pretty much, um, someone that was in place to support young people through resources, getting them housed, um, finding ways to um, provide some like consistent food, um, transportation, um, legal advocacy, um, any kind of resources. So um, after that, I became um, the drop-in and resource advocacy manager. Um, overseeing two of the main programs supporting um, all the, the young people. Um, and throughout, and then at some point I got my internship um, um, in a private um, organization called Live Oak. Um, and I was doing both at the same time, working full-time at the Broadway Youth Center and doing um, full-time internship of 30 hours per week at this other site. Um, so I was pretty busy. Um, but during mm -hmm. that time, um, I realized that the way that the mental health work in Chicago or within the organizations I was interacting, um, and then little by little I understood, I learned and understood that this is beyond of Chicago, that the mental health work, especially for black and brown communities, especially black and brown LGBTQI+, especially black and brown LGBTQI+, young people experiencing homelessness, wasn't necessarily what they needed. So it was mm -hmm. like heartbreaking to see many young people getting housed, getting employed, um, all these resources I was providing 
but then within a week, two weeks, a month, they were just losing all of those resources because they were not mentally and spiritually in a grounded place. So the kind of decisions what they were making were jeopardizing many of the resources that we were able to, to, to find or to support. So in the mix of all of that, I was also experiencing young people um, voguing um, during the, mm -hmm. you know, during the dropping program or like writing or singing or, um, you know, sharing their poetry to each other. So it was a lot of um, artistic expression, coping, healing work that they were already doing with each other um, organically at the space that I was like, this is, this is, and then I, I put my own personal experience as a mirror, and I was like, this is, this is what mental health healing work means to them and will be most mm -hmm. impactful to them. So, because they are creating their own healing process. Um, mm -hmm. And all of that together made me think about the possibility to open a space that could bring all of those elements and being able to explore a more comprehensive way for young people to heal from trauma. Um, and in 2010, that's when we sort of opened, I decided to like create a series, a series of um, workshops trying to explore all of that. Um, and when I started to facilitate those workshops outside of the Broadway Youth Center, I felt that the connection that young people were building around these workshops and what they were gaining and getting out of it was pretty instrumental. So I started with five, six young people, and I ended with like 30 people in each workshop. Um, so that brought that developed the foundation to continue exploring how to expand those kind of spaces. So little by little, it then turned into what we know right now as Youth Empowerment Performance Project. Um, many things happen in between, right? <laughs> those like first mm -hmm. and when we open it up as Youth Empowerment Performance Project, um, but then we open it up like that. And since then, um, you know, it was very volunteer-based on my end. Um, you know, I was doing this outside of work hours. Um, but then I found a way in, in 2013, if I don't mistake, at the end, December um, 2013, I made a big decision to resign at the Broadway Youth Center and... Um, explore the possibility to bring YAP to a level that I could um, focus a lot more my time and, and capacities and skills to, to, to develop something that I felt was more cohesive to the mental health work for young people rather than, you know, continue doing things mm -hmm. that were not necessarily connected with what I wanted to see in the world. Um, and I made the big jump. <laughs> And then, 
um, yeah, the rest is history, you know. Right now, um, we uh -huh. have um, between full-time, part-time, interns, um, um, team, we have around 10 people, um, 11, 12 people in place to do the work together. Um, we have um, different programs, not just the program that we started with, but we also develop new curriculums and new programs um, that respond to different identities and different needs of young people. And um, yeah, now we have a pretty massive organization. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll, when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about the programs and then get into talking more about the Youth Empowerment Performance Project. So we'll be right back. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Bonsai, um, one of the things that, you know, I've noticed and that, you know, often we talk about how to express ourselves. There is a way that black and brown and queer people, we have our language. And so part of that language comes through movement. And, I mean, there's no coincidences. I had talked with Danny Terrell, who's out in Seattle, and he put on a piece that he called black boys that was a dance piece to sort of talk about you know telling our stories through movement and just last week i talked to um sydney baloo who um interestingly how you went from the arts into uh into you know counseling and guidance he went from like public policy and stuff and he said how he found a sense of self a sense of being able to express his body through dance, and his dance was Vogue. Um, I looked at, you know, some of the things that uh, Youth Empowerment Performance Project did, and it is. It's like telling stories. How powerful is it to be able to tell these stories through movement and through the movement of black and brown bodies? Yeah. Um, just listening to what you were saying and listening to the question and just remembering like you know having like a like a like a quick video in my head about there's so much work that has happened at Yap I got emotional <laughs> and I am like yeah. tearing up a little bit. Um, um so yes to all of that. Um uh -huh. I think you know when I when I started doing the YAP's work 10, 11 years ago, um, I never, th I, I don't know. I mean, I was just 
operate, operating from an instinct and I was just responding, you know, to that. Uh-huh. And I never thought like what was going to happen years after. So now looking back, I am still like speechless at times when I think about all the work that have happened and um, the deep impact that Yap's work have had in community. Um, and, you know, I, the essence of our work is to have young people, for young people to strive and thrive in the way that they deserve. You know, that is like mm-hmm. the pure essence of whatever we do here from, fun, from fundraising to like board of directors to policies and procedures, all of these are, must be connected. And, and I want to believe, right, that are connected with that very moment when we see a young person thriving and striving because they deserve, they deserve it. So, and that's the moment that, you know, through, through the dance, through the, the storytelling, through the singing, through all of these artistic forms and, and forms of expression um, are the excuses that we have <laughs> to like build uh-huh. that self-relationship, to build that relationship with each other, to build that relationship as a collective. And yes, you know, um, the, the, how sometimes people ask me like, oh, Bonsai, how do you do it? How Yap does it? And it's like, you know, Art by itself is just magical. It's just like, like pure explosion of magic. And I just, you know, my role is to make sure that the space feels safe and feels brave and that people are treating the space um, in the way that is needed for them just to trust and being able to unfold, you know, um, through movement, through singing, through, you know, um, uh-huh. And I want to believe that one of the most beautiful things about Yab is that each person brings something different. You know, each person heals differently. Each person um, is able to connect with their bodies differently. Um, and sometimes people don't have to move. Just people just sit down and close their eyes and meditate and that's the way that they need um, to heal and that is a way that we welcome here, you know? So we, like each group of young people that we work with um, and each program that, you know, um, it's just very, 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 very different every single year, you know? And every single week, every single month is something completely different that is not replicable, you know, we cannot replicate. Uh-huh. Um, and going back to your question, um, you know, we treat our space as a laboratory, you know, we practice here in a safe environment, like how, like how to maneuver the world, how to be happy, you know, how to um, have, have the hardcore conversations we need to have with family members, with friends, with partners, you know. So here we practice, 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 and we master those ways. And then when we are out there, we are able to apply those. And movement, <laughs> you know, is very 
critical, you know, because you are embodying like those many ways that, you know, you need to interact with the world, you know. Um, um, so, and how part of the process is for them to tell their stories through movement, right? Not everybody uh-huh. a mo- big movement for it, but we also challenge each other, you know, like sometimes you see people that feel more connected with like storytelling and, and poetry, like experimenting with movement and they realize like, oh my God, I, you know, I never thought I had these skills and this way to connect with my body. I was like, there you are. Thank you for giving you the opportunity to explore that. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's very powerful. It's very powerful, like, what movement can do, you know, um, into someone's body and how through movement many stories can be told um, um, and shared. Mm-hmm. You know, I can also see how, how it's very freeing because often, you know, in our lives, we have to hold our bodies in a certain way. You know, you maybe you, you don't want someone to, to realize that you're gay, so you're, you're, you're particular about how you, you, you movements that you make. Um, a trans person wanting to be recognized for who they are, but not, you know, sometimes how we move can almost, like, put us at risk, but how freeing it is not only to use these movements and to be free, but then to help people understand our community by looking at that. You know, it's like really breaking boundaries. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I mean movement I mean all the all the artistic forms and expressions, you know, music does its thing and storytelling and communication and painting, you know, we also have like visual artists in the space and um, mm-hmm. um, you know, being able to put your story on a on a piece of canvas or on a piece of paper, um, it's also very powerful. I think, you know, um, in general, I think the arts is that vehicle, that that sort of um, instrument that we connect with our instincts, and we mm-hmm. if we unleash that instinct and allow that art to be that vehicle to bring that instinct to the table or to you know the the physical world. Um, we we you know we mm-hmm. we will discover many things. You know we will mm-hmm. get many answers. We will be able to um, feel more centered and grounded and clear, like who we are, like who, who we are, and what do we want for our own selves and our own communities and loved ones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, and you know. I've worked with this group, and some of the young people, they were saying, like, initially when they were performing, whether it was through dance or poetry or stuff, that there were people, like, in some organizations who sort of looked at, okay, well, let's bring these donors in. Okay, kids, come on out, you know, do what you're going to do, and everyone clapped, you know, and it was just like entertainment to where they were able to take that and develop that voice Mm-hmm. to sort of say these are our issues. This, we're taking our place at the table to taking it from just like entertaining donors to being in right. leadership roles. It sounds to me that that's part of what you're doing. It's like not only are they, are they doing this, but how, have, how do you see this help develop leadership? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, 
yes to that. Like, I'm so grateful and feeling very honored that, you know, I was a part, right, from the very beginning as mm-hmm. I one of as I as I am one of the founders to be able to set the tone and to set a culture um, that we have been able to build from. And part of that culture is that when we are on stage performing, um, when young people are on stage performing their lives, their true lives, uh, true stories, um, we just treat that space as this is just a little an invitation that we give to community to see, you know, um, to see and experience these stories. So we are not here to entertain anybody or to, Uh um, you know, put a show for you. We are here. And I I am like tearing up. I'm sorry. That's okay. You know, young people are here to give to themselves the opportunity to rewrite their stories, you know, and uh-huh. when they are on stage, it's another form to be more, to, to, uh, uh, to unfold that self-power, you know, and being able to embrace it to the fullest. Um, and I, don't take me wrong, I think the audience is magical to have because young people are uh-huh. embodying these things and being able to share it with communities. So I think the community is very instrumental to create that safe space. But by the end of the day, it's young people being able to embody that, you know. Uh-huh. So we are not here to create a, 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 a cute show, even though I will say that many people have complimented how beautiful the show is as a show, right, technically, theatrically, how beautiful these shows are. Um, but, you know... And beyond of that, the essence is like uh, 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 creating that space for young people to embody their, their themselves in a safe environment for them to continue growing and striving. And what happened is very powerful. I mean, personally, I have never had that opportunity to perform my life on a stage in that kind of way. So even I am directing and holding space for many people, but for many young people, but I have never had that experience myself. So I even don't know, you know, the, the, uh-huh. I can, I can perceive it and experience it from, from, from them, you know, and I am here holding all the rehearsals. So I know how much they work on themselves to put such show together. Right. Um, and, mm-hmm. and heal right first. And then to put the, the show together, um, but yeah, I think the essence is that like community members coming to see through lives on stage and and being able to have dialogues after that. So after each performance, we create a space um, to have a dialogue with the with the audience. So we call them um, panels, you know, like a, a, a mm-hmm. panel for the show. So it's another opportunity that we have to interact and build together. Um, I think going back to your question, let me see if I remember it because I kind of forgot. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, you were asking, um, oh, I think, yeah, I think I answered it. I think it was like, I think uh, you did. yeah, a question about like the impact of, of this work on mm-hmm. young people. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Well, you know, and it is true. It's like you said, and I think that that's one of each, you know, what, what we, as the ones who are like, we're able to hold that space, but this world that they're in, it's not our world, you know? And so we're never going to, and it's not only not our world, but it's a world for the next generation. And we can't, you know, we have to give them a space. And, and that's what you're doing. You hold the space to where not only were they able to do it to them, and then to have that opportunity to talk to people, to like, like, you know, and, and so like this is my world. This is the world that I see. I was telling someone how I had met a a young woman um, who was a, she was finding herself to dance and do everything, and she was talking about making things. She was like in her early twenties, and she was talking about making a world for those who are coming up after her. And you know, often you look at these young people and you don't think about mm-hmm. there's somebody coming up after her, but. That's her community, and she recognized that and how important that is. I agree, and I bring like a, a, a friendly pushback sort of thing because, uh-huh. yes, you know, um, I think it's something very powerful to come from a place of like what is the legacy I'm, I'm leaving behind for the new generations to build from, at the same time, it's still our world, you know. It's still uh-huh. our world. And when I say our, it's like all of us for the generations uh-huh. to come, but also for the generations that are not here with us anymore, you know. Uh-huh. Um, so when I personally bring, when I bring my, you know, when I am, you know, well, I think even when I'm sleeping, I'm doing work, right, because I am just taking uh-huh. care of myself just to recharge and, and continue life. Um but all of me, you know, it's always honoring all of us, you know, the, the people to come, but also the people that are um, our ancestors and, and, and the people that are not here with us anymore and ourselves at this very moment. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, do you have conversations with them about your life as a dancer and, you know, do mm-hmm. Because, you know, often I think like, oh, if I could be, you know, on, on that stage and do that. But do you ever have a conversation with them about your life as a dancer and how that journey led you to where you are now? Yeah. Um, I will say thank you for that question. Um, I have never been asked that question. Um um, in that kind of way, right? I think mm-hmm. variations of it, but not that tangible question. Um, you know, Michelle, I, you know, that is a very colorful question with many answers. You know, I don't think it's a, it's a very black and white, like, sort of question answer. Um, I think outside of Yap's work, outside of like, you know, what the academia tells you um, for social workers and counselors and healers, what to do um, outside of this like capitalistic world um, country, outside of these many things, if you look at the ways that our ancestors used to live life, um, it was a lot of sharing, you know, it was a lot of like passing wisdom to each other, um, um, caring, caring from, you know, caring over 
um, what from where we are coming from. And in order to do that, it was a lot of like passing, passing my story to the next generation and that generation to the next one. You know, so we are humanity, uh, human beings, hum humankind. Humanity is packed of sharing stories. You know. And uh -huh. we share stories because we are sharing who we are all the time. Um, so from that very place, you know, I, I believe in the power of, like, sharing stories um, uh -huh. and, and the healing powers of it. I will say that meanwhile that is happening, and even though that is my dream to live in that sort of, like, from that place, I also recognize that, you know, black and brown communities are holding so much trauma in our bodies that at times sharing my story can be detrimental rather than healing, mm -hmm. you know. Um, I can also recognize that sometimes systems that are quote-unquote designed to, to support people um, do not believe in like, believe in boundaries, you know, do not believe in well, I believe in boundaries, right? But they do not believe into like healers and social workers should be sharing their stories because that is personal and there's no practice whatsoever of like, you know, building a more personable, vulnerable, human-driven relationship, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and we can see many social workers, psycho psychologists, psychiatrists, healers not having that practice. And that is part of why I felt that the mental health work that was happening, you know, at these many institutions I was a part of were not comprehensive to what young people needed. Um, so going back to your question, you know, I think YAP strives to build a safe environment and brave environment for us to share, for us mm -hmm. to share from where we are coming from, how we have conquered many of our traumas, how we have found ways to strive and thrive in life, and that includes me, you know, um, mm -hmm. and includes other leaders, you know. Um, so, yes, you know, I have had many moments where I have shared my story with young people. Um, and but many other things need to be thought through, right? Um, sometimes, mm -hmm. like how to share it, you know, because by the end of the day, that, is, that, that space is not designed for me to heal, you know? It's designed for young people to heal. I am just someone that is holding space. So at times we have to, I have to be very careful. Like, am I sharing because I am here to have the conversation for young people to explore possibilities and, and you know? Or am I sharing because I am healing myself and this is the space I am relying on? And, and when it's the latter, right, when I am, like, doing it because I, I, I am using the space for me to heal, that can be dangerous. You know, that can be dangerous for the young people and can be dangerous for you. Um, mm -hmm. However, that has happened, you know, to me multiple times. I remember um, the first... Um, um, production we did it back in 2011 I found myself in one of the dress rehearsals um, exploding and and you know 
um, meanwhile, I was watching one of the scenes that we were rehearsing. Um, that scene was like very, very connected to one of my biggest traumas um, that at that moment I was still healing from, right? At this point, I feel pretty healed, but at that moment I wasn't. So when I was watching um, like how the lights were coming together with the music and the, the young person telling the story, I mean, all of this sort of magical zone i got into that zone and i i i i exploded you know i i, mm-hmm. I and i had to you know i had to step back from the dress rehearsal for 15 minutes because i wasn't mm-hmm. able to control my body my body was possessed by that trauma that i knew i wasn't taking care of so when I came back, you know, young people were very worried about me and I had oh. to sit down and I had to like share, you know, these, you know, these are the reasons why. Um, mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, I don't want this space to, to redirect, you know, this space is not for me to heal. Um, but clearly I am recognizing that a lot of healing needs to happen in this part of my life. And I was like, mm-hmm. I'm going to, do the work that I need to do to make sure that I continue healing my body. So mm-hmm. I think it was a very intimate, powerful moment that we had all together. Um, but I also had to find a way to navigate it to not, you know, impact their own healing process here rather than to enhance it and being able to take care of myself somehow, somewhere outside of that space. But have you ever had a moment, because, you know, to me, joy, dancing is joyful where maybe even before or what's after and someone has some music and they drop that beat and everybody just gets up to dance. And have you ever just like sort of joined in where you're just people dancing in joy to the music yeah. and, and moving your body? Yeah. I mean, that happens pretty <laughs> long, you know. Um, right now, because of COVID, you know, we are not able to welcome young people to our space, but when COVID uh-huh. wasn't with us, that was pretty much our daily life, you know, our, like every day, you know, you know, it was mm-hmm. always a bunch of people with music and, you know, dancing and singing, you know, I think that is such an integral part of our culture that it just happens mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did, they, did they talk about your moves? Oh, did they laugh yeah. at your moves? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think. They have seen me, you know, like both teaching um, part of one of our programs here. Um, it's called the arts programming. So we teach um, an artistic, uh, artistic, uh, you know, a class, an artistic class. And um, mm-hmm. so they have seen me teaching ballet, modern dance, all the way to dance, do my own, you know, choreographies and dance <laughs> own body. And yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's very beautiful when they are able to see, you know, the, the artistry that goes behind um, being a dancer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So back in 2016, you did this out in the open documentary. Mm-hmm. Okay. How mm-hmm. has, what has changed from there and what is still the same and what has happened to some of the people who were focused on in this documentary? Yeah. Are they still with the program or? Have yeah. they gone on to bigger things? Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that question as well. Um, you know, yeah, 
you know, how can I say this? So I want to believe that YAP is a organization that is very relationship-based and community-based and long-term relationship-based, you know? Um, I think something that I didn't want to recreate based on many other organizations doing the work is that young people is defined between 14 and 24, and after 24, you cannot come back. So I didn't want mm. to see that at YAP, you know? Mm -hmm. I wanted to create a space that we, that we could treat human beings as human beings, you know? So um, we are still in relationship with pretty much all the young people, right? Some people more than others, and some people, right, um, you know, have mm -hmm. taken like, time off, <laughs> you know, themselves. Mm -hmm. And, but in so many different levels, the work that YAP have done and have brought to their lives will, will stay forever. Um, and, and so going back to the documentary, um, you know, I, there were like six people and one mm -hmm. of them currently um, a nurse practitioner. Um, uh -huh. Another person is working, two more, three people are, well, four of them now thinking through are working um, within other like not-for-profit organizations doing um, very meaningful work. Um, and um, the other one is a security guard. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, you see how much, you know, the, the mm -hmm. work that they did through YAP developed a foundation to build from. And still ups and downs, still, um, you know, um, relapses. Uh -huh. At the same time, you know, I think they already have the tools and the skills. They are just practicing more and, and mastering them. And we are here, you know, they all know that I am here, Yap will be always here to to support them. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, we're going to take our second break, and then we're going to talk about what's happening now in the, this virtual world. world. Mm -hmm. So we'll be right back. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. Um, Bonsai, um, obviously, the world changed, you know, everything shut down, you're doing things virtually. How has, how has that affected your group, and how are you continuing the work? Yeah, um, 
you know, I don't necessarily may use the word change. You know, the word have changed. Uh-huh. Um, I, I, you know, I think the world have unfolded many things and have brought into light many things. But the world that we are currently living in has been the world that we have been living for many, many years ago. It's just that I think it's manifesting differently um, and people are able to, yeah, I think change is a part of it. But anyway, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, these times for sure has been very complex for YAP. I I don't think it's fair to say have been, these times have been traumatized even though layers of traumas is a part of it. Um, but in the mix of all the struggles that we have gone through, especially young people have gone through, I think we also have learned a lot of things that is allowing us to grow and to get deeper into the work and being able to strive in a different sort of way. So. Um, it's a it's a big mix of things. Um, by the end of the day, yes, young people have been impacted the most. Or I don't want to compare, right? But young people have been uh-huh. impacted um, in in levels that you know I still have not open space to fully reflect. I am just still bringing as much actions as I can just to keep as many young people as possible afloat and, and grounded. Um, but these times have been bananas. Um, and on the other side, I think two very big aspects that have been instrumental for us to keep our work afloat is that, um, you know, part, part of, our identity is to be create creative beings. You know, uh, we are a creative-based organization, um, and we feel very familiar about reinventing ourselves at all times. You know, because that's what we do. You know, that's what we do through rehearsals. That's what we do through programming. That's what we do all the time. And I think that part, that big identity of us has allowed us to be creative, be creative during these times and say these things are not able to happen, but these many other things are able to, so let's just make them happen. Um, So our work have not not relapsed or have not been stagnant or, you know, it's just... Uh very, very different, you know. Um, the other identity aspect um, of our organization that, you know, now is paying off in a very powerful way is that we are very relationship-based and very long-term based and very community-based. So we have absolutely best practices and some boundaries, but for example, you know, I, young people have my cell phone, you know, they know the it's specific ways that they can use it, right? Um, so I think it's, it's a sustainable practice. However, um, well, not however, they, they, they have my phone, they have my phone number. So uh-huh. at the moment, and, and my um, 
work email, you know, and my Facebook, so they are able to connect with me in so many different levels. Um, and when this was going down, COVID-19 was going down, we already had many ways to connect, right? We were not able to connect at our own space building, but we were able to still connect. And that uh, uh, was instrumental for us to assess needs and being able to um, bring the resources that were needed um, very early in this like journey of COVID. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, I, that was that, you know, and I think mm -hmm. many organizations ha have that practice or have still, many organizations don't have that practice and may never have it, right? Because once again, goes back into that question about if I share my story to people, uh, to young people, they don't believe in that. So the kind of relationship they have built are very transactional um, in ways that do not help and support when they are trying to go further in like supporting young people with resources. So that wasn't our case. So mm -hmm. don't take me wrong, it was still challenging and difficult and complicated, um, but I think we had many things in place for us to build and move faster in like injecting those resources or providing those resources. Um, well, you know, one of the things that, that your focus is, is on addressing and ending youth homelessness. And, you know, and Kim Hunt and I go way back. And I know that like, she has come here to the Ruth Ellis Center. I've been there. I know that at one point in time there was, um, they did out, they, they, people stayed outside. It was during the winter to focus mm -hmm. on youth homelessness. I know that there uh, they tried doing a tiny house uh, mm -hmm. example. She came here, we looked at, uh, she went to the Ruth Ellis Center. We have a, a tiny house community that's connected with another thing that I took her by. And one of the things that we had was that, that you know, is suffering, like there were places, and even like through, through the Youth Empowerment Project, like at the Ruth Ellis Center, we have a drop-in center where sometimes that's where young people would come, and many of them would tell you that they didn't feel that they were homeless. They just had alternative housing, which meant that they were couch surfing or whatever. Right. But that space where they could come and dance, uh, connect on the Internet, those places aren't open. <laughs> I mean, and I know that it's probably there then. How then, how are you identifying what are the needs of youth who are homeless? And I mean, during this time when, they might not be able to drop in. They might not be able to. I know you have a new cohort uh, right. starting in June at, at youth, but how are you able to address youth homelessness still? Yeah. Yeah. This is when the creativity comes up, you know. Um, mm -hmm. um, yeah. Um, so just like the, the, the tangible answer there, in many, 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 many different ways, you know. Um, mm -hmm. For example, we, just to list the five, ten that comes to my head, um, for example, mm -hmm. supporting young people, how to communicate with family members, how to um, hold relationship with them, um, because some of these young people are able to stay with parents and stay with family members. It's just that 
they are so deeply disrespected because of their gender expression, uh -huh. because of their sexual identities, that they prefer to live on the streets rather than getting that emotional, spiritual impact by these parents and these family members. So we, we coach them, we sort of, um, um, we have conversation with them in a way that they can hold those, those conversations or those dynamics and being able to remain centered in w from a harm reduction place, you know, explore as many options as possible. And at times having a young person staying with family members, but then during the day being able to support them at our space or, or having them doing other things in ways that they can balance out, you know, the levels of harm um, can be productive until we go further into applying for housing programs or um, applying for a job that they can get their own money and they are able to pay rent, you know? So mm -hmm. the, the level of creativity is imperative, you know? Um, I don't think it's like a, like a, a formula here um, that will be applicable for all. Um, so, and that is part of like the trainings that we provide to like youth workers and resource advocates at YAP just to continue being um, creative. Um, but yes, I mean, to be honest, Michelle, winter is coming. This is going to be uh -huh. winter um, during this pandemic. So this is going to be a new chapter of a new wave of, of, of lessons and learning, you know, like how we can even do homelessness care work during this pandemic, during winter time, you know, um, but it needs to happen, you know, <laughs> and mm -hmm, we mm -hmm. are here for it. Well, how can people support mm -hmm. the project, you know, especially mm -hmm. like you said, winter is coming and we know winter in Chicago is pretty gosh darn cold. How can people support the project and stay informed about what's going on? Yeah, yeah, thank you. So first I will say all our social media, right, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of them, you can find our organization's work um, at We Say Yap, W-E-S-A-Y-Y-E, P-S-M Peter, P-S-M Peter, We Say Yap, and you will find us. Um, and we, you know, we in a... a, a how can I say this? Um, so we post things there, um, and we I think we can do better, right? <laughs> but we sort of communicate mm -hmm. with people and our communities and friends and supporters. What what do we need from them? You know, um, sometimes we need some funding. Sometimes we need some um, family dinners. Right now we are not providing family dinners because we are not operating at our own space. But when we come back, we are going to you know say, you know, we need community members to cook a hot meal, to bring it to the, to mm -hmm. the that young people can eat. Um, so we inform communities, like, what do we need, you know? Um, and, but we need, we need a lot of things, you know? We need a lot of things from um, food to, you know, we have the, we are a part of the Chicago Youth Mutual Aid um, and uh -huh. this is um, an effort um, 
that five organizations came together at the beginning of COVID just to figure out ways to continue providing resources to young people. So we have developed an entire structure how to identify resources in community from like furniture to, um, you know, blankets and pillows and kitchen supplies and any sort of resources in ways that we can funnel them to young people. And um, we have drivers in place. We have um, staff that are supervising all of those, you know, many steps that need to happen to bring a donation from the donor person to the young person themselves. So mm-hmm. um, it's many, many, many ways, you know. Um, two weeks ago, three week, weeks ago, we had a training for our new teaching artists. So if you are a teaching artist that would like to bring your, your craft and facilitate a program that young people can enjoy and be a part of, um, we have that opportunity in place too. Um, of course, because that opportunity, people have to interact directly with young people. We are looking for people skilled, not just in your craft, but also in the ways that you hold space for queer youth experiencing homelessness. Um, so it's a lot of opportunities people can be a part of. Right now, we are looking for new board members. Um, we have eight amazing board members um, that have been super instrumental to the work, and we are looking for three more. So um, I think whoever is listening to this and would like to consider um, how to best support our work, um, you can send an email to info at wesayyet.com. Um, and say in that email, you know, I would like to consider a volunteer um, opportunity at YAP, and then we will give you the link um, that we have in place for you to identify based on your skills and strengths. Um, and, and of course, things that you may want to learn, right? So we have this form that you will fill out, and then we will initiate the conversation. So info at wisayet.com, and um, we can take it from there. Well, I uh, I want to thank you first of all for the for the work that you do because no matter where they are, our youth is our youth. You know what I mean? You know, and and the part of allowing the power of using your body and and doing it and expressing and telling our stories. That's how we we accomplished so much and and develop leadership because you know today it might be a yet, but you just develop that the confidence to go out and be your, your authentic self. And I thank you for the work that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. Um, you know, I think I am here still doing the work through this amazing organization. And it's because uh-huh. people like you um, and many, 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 many people, and I'm getting emotional again, um, because this is truly a manifestation of like the power of community. I will never be able to be here and have such a very special space for young people without the so much love and support we like we have gotten from many, many communities across the world, because this is not just Chicago, um, across the United States and many other people from other places in the world. So um, thank you, Michelle, for opening this space to highlight YAP's work and my leadership within YAP, and um, I'm excited. I'm excited to continue conversations and um, share space and, and, and time with you 
also well, um, this is a good segue. Okay. Um, in October, um, we have, you know, this is the first time we are going to do a performance virtually. You know, <laughs> clearly we have uh-huh. never done that before. So October 24th and 25th, the Healing Performance Program at YAV will be holding, um, hosting, holding their um, performance. Um, and um, they have been working for the past six, seven months together, um, this cohort of young people. So yeah, um, we still don't have the specific times for those two days. We are like landing that plane. Um, landing uh-huh. <laughs> but um, uh-huh. yeah, whoever is listening to this, if you would like to connect on social media, um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at, at we say yeah.com, uh, at we say yeah, sorry, at we say yeah. Um, um, for sure, we will be posting that information on our social media. Oh, great. Well, I will, I will also share that. As soon as you put it up, I'll, I'll share it uh, yeah. a lot. Like I said, you know, like Chicago is like my second home. You know? oh. I mean, there were people who for the longest, because I was doing so much, I said, do you live in Chicago now? I said, no, I just go back and forth. <laughs> but uh, um, I want to thank you for spending this time with me. I'm there, you know, um, Please let me know what's going on. I'm happy to support and make okay. sure that people know about, about what you're doing. I think it's wonderful. Thank you, thank you, oh. thank you, Michelle. And, um, yeah, to be continued, we are here together. Definitely. That's <laughs> right. I want to thank my guest, co-founder and executive artistic director of Chicago's Youth Empowerment Performance Project, Banzai Bermudez. Youth Empowerment Performance Project, also known as YEP, creates a safe environment for LGBTQI plus youth experiencing homelessness to explore their history, investigate new ways to address their struggles, and to celebrate their strengths through personal and leadership development, as well as community development programming that incorporates different art expression forms. You can connect with the project at wesayyep.com. They're also on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Be sure and follow Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or topic for a future show. You can support the podcast by becoming a sponsor of Collections by Michelle Brown on Patreon.com. You can listen to this or past episodes of the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. Right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening.